Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And as we begin today, I'd like to call in the ancestors. I'd like to call in all those people that bring to you the legacy of all of the gifts of all of the lives. All those people who lived well, who lived hard, who died well, who gained through an entire lifetime wisdom, teachings, inspiration, and messages that we need to guide us in our way going forward, that we might learn from those who have gone before us and not make all the same mistakes over again. Our ancestors have great wealth, a great legacy to offer us. And I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today, all of our fathers' fathers and our fathers' mothers. All of our mothers' fathers and our mothers' mothers, I call out to all of these people all the way back to the first people to be with us here today to gather round, to circle round us that we might find here today information that we need to live the dreams that these ancestors dreamt. As they dreamt of a future, they dreamt of us and let us live in a way that brings those dreams into full manifestation, even as we are dreaming and calling forward to the descendants. We call out to the energy of the earth below, this most essential ancestor, the first here on this planet as life as we know it. We call out to the energy of the earth to give us a place, to give us a sense of connection and belonging, to give us a sense of home, a sense of adventure as we strike out from home, and a place to return to with a warm hearth and a hearty stew and people that love us. We call out to the earth and give thanks to the earth for the great beauty of life on this planet. Let us all remember today that life in our universe is a miracle, and that we each share a piece of this miracle, and may we live this day remembering that we are a miracle. Let us be that in our day, and we call out to the earth to be the firm foundation underneath our feet, as we leap and risk and go forward in a way that is truly miraculous. And we reach up from our bellies, through our hearts, through our minds, all the way up to the highest power of the universe, through all the realms of the sky, up into the cosmos. And we call in that energy by whatever name you call it. Call it in. May we call it in by all of the names ever given this energy by any people here on this planet call out through the energy even of our ancestors to this highest power to come into our circle here today to bring us blessings, to bring us protection and guidance, the benevolence of the universe, and to circle round us that we are protected in going forward and hearing what we might have been unable to hear yesterday and speaking what we were unable to even articulate moments before. May the energy of the earth and the sky come together here in that great love, the big love of the earth and the sky through which all life as we know it is born. May we move forward from that love, that great big love, and let it fill our hearts as we call out to the energy of the heart to be with us here today. And let us be inspired 
to know that great capacity of the heart to draw the passions of our belly up and the clarity of our mind down, to merge these energies in the heart that we might know our true heart path unfolding, that we might know our purpose and understand in this life our unique genius and bring it to the world. So with all these energies around us today, I welcome you all, and may our proceedings today be good for life in all forms. So thank you for joining me here today. Um, I want to also give thanks to the Last Mass community members whose generous donations make this show possible. And for those of you that are wondering, how could I donate and make this show possible? We are working on a website for Why Shamanism Now, and that will have a donate button which will allow you to poke the button and offer donations, however large or small you feel. And we would greatly appreciate that as well. So I want to be honest here today. I'm a little bit rough around the edges from um, teaching this weekend and traveling back from that teaching. Um, I've just returned from British Columbia and a weekend residential shamanic retreat um, offered by the Sacred Circle of the Great Mystery Society up in BC, our brothers and sisters in Canada. And um, I just want to acknowledge that though I may be a bit rough around the edges today, that I am very inspired. I want to honor and thank um, Jean-Luc Edwards, who is at the heart of all that they are doing up there in BC, and to thank the community that is gathered around him and the woven path tradition of shamanism. And just give thanks to everyone there once again through their guidance We were able to tap the true essence energies that do exist around us, and we were able to pass through those portals of these deep energies and find ways to be together that were truly shamanic, um, deep, deep ways of living and being and knowing um, that was great fun and a great deal of heart and a really strong energy of community um, is growing and developing there. So I just want to honor them and to thank them. And um, also just to say that for myself, after 20 years of shamanic work here in America, I feel that finally in these people, um, I found my own shamanic family. And here is another community um, active here in the contemporary world, focused on how do we do this in the world today. Um that they are gathered around a cosmology and a set of teachings that facilitate deep transformation in those who participate, facilitates initiation, and ultimately a way for people to find freedom for the ways that our contemporary life has become flat in a certain sense and somewhat perhaps uninteresting. And so I want to give thanks to them for um, and really celebrate the finding of home and finding of family and finding of brothers and sisters that can connect with those in my own community. Um, since we are all people that believe in the true deep transformational power of shamanism. So moving on to our topic here today, why does this matter? Why is this experience so unique in the offerings of shamanic retreats today? Well, generally today in shamanism, there is an idea passed around that everyone is a shaman. And the intent in this idea is to be empowering, is so that each individual person is empowered to connect with their own helping spirits. 
And I do see the value in this on the most surface level, not superficial. It is valuable, is truly valuable, but it is on a surface level. It is on that surface of our kind of flat contemporary life. At that level where people are largely disconnected from spirit and largely disempowered, this idea is important. So I understand the need for it psychologically with contemporary people, although understand it's not present in indigenous shamanic cultures. But I understand the need for it with contemporary people, particularly in America. And it has to do deeply with the importance of reestablishing for each individual their own direct revelatory relationship with spirit. And in shamanism, this comes primarily through the journey um, technique at the beginning of someone's connection with shamanism. And it's very important um, that each individual person comes to trust and value their own helping spirits as their primary teachers, not um, a human teacher. Largely because humans are flawed. We're growing, we're changing too. And our helping spirits are evolving with everything, but they are not like people. They don't have unresolved issues, ego needs, and the like. And so they are, um, it is important for each individual to make this direct connection with spirit without an interpreter in between. But what we must all remember is that the ability to journey alone does not make us a shaman. It makes us human. The capacity to connect with spirit, to be in a powerful working relationship with spirit is what makes us human. We are not here alone and we are not meant to do this alone. So the simple ability to journey is a way in which we as humans are able then to connect with spirit and it is available to all of us. Whether we use it or not is up to us, but it's available to all of us. That alone does not make us a shaman. So the thing that makes a shaman a shaman has to do with everything else that results along the path. Everything in addition to the journeying in life that results in the shaman becoming a person who has the ability to guide others in deep life-changing transformation, whether that's a healing, um, a ritual, a ceremony for the community. There's so many different ways that this occurs, but the important thing is that the shaman is transformed into someone who is able to guide others in deep life-changing transformations that engage the person or engage the people, person or peoples, in their physical aspects, emotional, mental, and spiritual dimensions um, simultaneously. It's not enough to work in one realm. Shamans work in all of those realms of the human, as well as working with the healing of the land, um, healings of energies purely in the non-ordinary reality realm where things have no form. So there are all these other dimensions that make a shaman a shaman. It's not just journeying. And this ability then to to guide people in deep transformation is what is necessary to help humans with things like addiction or depression or post-traumatic stress disorder, as we talked about last week. And so this is the topic of today's show. Um, It is the topic of shamanism and the use of shamanism in the recovery from addiction. 
So this is what we're going to explore here today, is this realm of addiction in the contemporary world and how shamanism can help us um, in our recovery and healing from this. So, without further ado then, it is important in any discussion about addiction and recovery to honor and acknowledge the power and the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous and all of the 12-step programs that AA has inspired. Um, the, the 12 steps in whatever, for whatever addiction you're applying them to um, is a very powerful practice. And for most people, it is absolutely necessary to actually recover yourself from your addiction. And this is, there is great value in AA uh, or, or just 12-step programs, I should say, because they're certainly not all about alcohol. Um, the steps work for recovery. They're, they are essential for recovery. And it is important to be, to, to be able to move on from addiction. You must acknowledge that need to recover. It's, it is the first step. And for many people, it's the only step because they will dance with that um, dynamic between the addiction itself, living in the addiction and recovering themselves from it, um, back and forth and back and forth, perhaps for their entire life. Um, for others, uh, they will find the, a 12-step process and find a home in that program. They'll work the steps and they'll spend time, maybe years, working the steps. Um, and this is what they will find is right for them. For others, they'll work the steps and find that becoming a sponsor in the program and supporting others in working the steps is what they need in their recovery from addiction. And, and all of these are beautiful options. Um, they are all part of the process. And I have no criticism for Alcoholics Anonymous at all in this show. So please don't think that anything I'm saying here today is a criticism of it in any way. And there are other people who will find their way to the 12-step program and will work the steps and will recover themselves from their addiction, whatever that might be. And then they will start asking other questions. And this show is particularly for that type of person. And I'm not saying that any of these people, types of people, are better or worse than any other people. I'm just fine in my practice that there are some people that work their steps and recover themselves. And then other questions emerge that aren't answered in those steps. But without those steps, they could never get to the place where they could even ask the questions. And one of the things that is so important to understand that we get so clearly through a shamanic practice is that life happens through questions. You know, that's sort of an odd concept because life seems to just happen whether you participate in it or not. But truthfully, the engagement with life, the depth of life, the way in which your life responds to you and you then respond to your life is question-driven. To simply pose the question calls the answer out of your life, out of your dreams, out of your own intuition, out of the wisdom of your belly, out of the wisdom of your heart, that Without the question, the answer doesn't come. And this is um, challenging for us 
certainly in America, largely because of the way our um, academic system is organized from kindergarten on. And we're fed um, whole big chunks of answers. And we're not really allowed or encouraged um, in some of the less uh, conscious schooling systems to ask questions and to allow our questions and the development of our intellect through our own capacity to frame the question to draw the answers to us. And so we tend then as adults to sit back in life waiting to be handed the answers without realizing there aren't any answers coming for your life until you start asking questions. And one of the beauties of working with any divination tool, which is, of course, a big part of working in shamanism, is that you learn to ask questions and you learn to ask better and better questions and you learn to ask more and more powerful questions. So questions. Okay, so we have these people then that ask these questions. And so this show is largely for those people that ask that question once they've recovered themselves from addiction is what next? And this show is for the rest of us because we are all addicted in a sense to the person that we learned to be in our family of origin. Every single one of you listening developed a false self to survive and to thrive in the contemporary world. And you became addicted to being that person. So much so that most of you don't even know the difference between your false self and who you really are. You've lost that long ago in the effort to create a convincing false self that would help you to survive and function in the world. And the reason that I call this an addiction is because as I work with people to release this false self and open up to their true selves, what first comes up is the feeling that you can't live without your false self. And I don't know the last time you talked to an addict, but they feel like they can't live without their drugs. And so there is this feeling about this false self that you can't live without it. And if you don't believe me, I dare you to try it. I dare you to try living a whole day without your false self. And for most of you, you probably can't even find the difference between your false self and your true self at this stage. And this is why I believe shamanism is absolutely critical at this time in our country on this planet. Because we need the powerful capacity of shamanism to move us into deep transformation outside of politics, outside of belief systems, outside of the current status quo, to be able to see, to look back at ourselves in a way to be able to see what is false and what is true. For all of us, every word spoken in relationship that is coming from a codependent dynamic in that relationship is coming from an addiction. Codependency is addictive behavior. It just doesn't involve a substance other than the chemicals produced by the emotions of the heart relationship. So codependent relationships are addictive behavior. And so whenever we look at these kind of patterns in relationship, we're looking at emotional addictions. And there are people that are addicted. I'm sure you know. I'm sure it wouldn't be you, of course. But there are, of course, people all around that are addicted to anger. Every day, they have to find something to be angry about, to stew about, to fume about all day long because it is that rush of the chemicals that anger releases into their bloodstream that lets them feel alive. The same thing with adrenaline junkies. 
people that seek these adrenaline rushes, you know, day after day after day, is we are addicted to those chemicals being released. And they may be naturally produced, but the relationship itself is an addictive relationship. We are an addictive culture here in America, whether we're talking about sugar, um, a diet of simple carbs. There's so many people that say, well, I don't eat any sugar, but their diet is filled with simple carbs, which go straight to sugar in your bloodstream. So whether we're talking about sugar or meth, whether we're talking about emotional patterns or thought patterns, or whether we're just talking about what we eat, it's all about chemistry and our relationship with this chemistry is addictive. And the thing about addictive patterns is they create the same result time after time. It's all in the chemistry, and it's always the same. And here is the piece that we need to look at, because I don't think I've said anything new that any of you don't already know until right now, is that the energy that goes into these patterns day after day is the energy that you need to live the true genius of your calling in this life. That's the trade-off that you're making. In other words, you're selling yourself out because the energy that goes into the same patterns day after day is wasted energy. Right? It's the same thing. You've already done it once. Right? So you're doing the same thing over and over again. And that energy is like just throwing it down a rat hole. And that is the energy that you need to do what you've come into this life to do. So we're living these addictive patterns Even the socially acceptable ones, coffee, sugar, alcohol, tobacco, these socially accepted addictions, codependent relationships, addictive relationships in work with your boss and your co-workers, all of these energy patterns that are creating the same chemistry in your body day after day after day. This is what we are doing instead of cultivating energy doing practices in our life that would cultivate a reserve of energy so that we could draw on that when we are ready to express and create a a true expression of our own unique genius. That most of us in America live every day using up every shred of energy that we have by the end of the day. And for most of us, it's gone by four. And that's why you need to go have that last coffee break. And so we're living in a way that we're not cultivating the reserves of energy necessary to then express from that place. Now, this is a very Taoistic concept, but the bottom line is it is our addictions that are robbing us of the energy that we need to do the beautiful, creative, inspired things that we came into this life to do. So, What is an addiction? So I'm going to honor a message I received this weekend from my ancestors. And they said, bring more Taoism into the shows. (laughs) Very practical ancestors. But it's a good message. And when uh, this message was given to me by another person, I felt the truth in it. So we're going to forge ahead here to some a Taoistic perspective um, of addiction. And this perspective was shared with me by my teacher, um, Daniel Villasenor. And so, Taoistically speaking, addictions begin 
in our young years, when we're children, usually young children, they begin because there is some true, what I'll call a true impulse, some true energy emanating from us that is some beginning of our tapping into our unique genius, to the gifts we've brought into this world, to some sort of essential energy that is absolutely critical for us to live our soul's purpose or whatever it is that we have come into this life to do. And so this true impulse moves us to do something, to act in a certain way, to say something, to start singing, dancing, who knows what it does. But basically it's a true impulse and it moves through us and then it gets stopped by something external. So by a parent, by a teacher, by a priest, by someone in authority who has the capacity to stop a child from expressing something or doing something. Um, it can be um, conscious or even unconscious, the way that you learn through unconscious signals that something you're doing is unacceptable um, in your family of origin, at school, at church, whatever. But the point is your true impulse and usually many true impulses that emerge from us get stopped dead by something external. So because these are true impulses, the, the bottom line is we must do them. We must live them. And so we're now in a situation where the true impulse is pushing from the inside to get out. And there is a block that is not allowing it out. And so the true impulse is trapped now. And what the addiction is, what addictive behavior is, is how we find our way to work ourselves around the block, the wall, the thing that stopped us. So we immediately begin behavior that is not true, not part of the true impulse, but is now behavior to get ourselves out from being trapped behind the block. So we begin to please our parents. We begin to perform in certain ways. We begin to cultivate this false self that is the self that has learned how to do what others expect us to do so that we don't get stopped. Now, the trade-off, obviously, is that that true impulse gets left behind the stopper, gets left behind the block. We find our way out, but the impulse, though it's truly ourselves, is left behind, behind what is the stopper. So the addictive behavior then is your workaround. It's the way you learn to get around the block and move back out into the world. And so the addiction then is rising not directly out of the true impulse, but as a result of the true impulse being stopped and your need to be free. You need to get out from behind the block yourself. So what happens then is we get into a dynamic with our true impulses in our life where whenever we feel the true impulse, we create something else because we know the true impulse is going to get stopped or at least we have that habit of believing that true impulse is going to get stopped. And so what, what we set up then is the, the habit within ourselves, the true impulse moves and we go straight into the addiction. Because our addiction is the way that we get over the block that's going to block the true impulse. And then we go straight to the addiction 
without ever actually noticing whether the block is still there or not. Because honestly, the, bro- the block is present within us. We have carried that block forward, worked around it through the addiction, and now the whole dynamic is being um, expressed with our own energy. Whereas initially, the true impulse was ours. The block came from the outside, and the addiction was our own energy working around the block. As we go forward, that whole pattern gets laid down, and all the elements become us. We are the true impulse, we are the person blocking ourselves, and we are also the person in the addiction working around the block, working to get out from behind the block. And so our energy now is caught up in that whole dynamic. And so what is happening then is our true, the, the experience is then that our true impulse feels like it's triggering the addiction. Right, because we no longer remember the stopping and the that whole piece. We just go from true impulse straight into the addiction. So it feels like our truest impulses are triggering our addictive behavior. So then on top of that whole mess is we learn now to distrust our true impulses. We learn now to distrust the very energies that would guide us to our soul's purpose We learn to distrust now because they're getting blamed for causing our addictions because we no longer see the energy that stopped us. We no longer see the block because for most of us, we process the block as reality. And so we no longer see it. So over time then, as we grow older, we begin to be more and more um, judgmental and suspicious and um, disbelieving in our own true impulses. And they get blamed for our addictions. And we develop fear. If the addictions become truly damaging in life, whether it's just food addictions that are raising our... our, um, blood pressure and our cholesterol and our weight to dangerous levels or whether it's a um, substance, controlled substance that is dangerous because it's illegal and it's causing that sort of dynamic in our life, that sort of drama or alcohol that is certainly considered socially acceptable in our lives but has certainly destroyed many lives and families. So we get into a place as, as our addictions become more and more damaging, the, the blame And the distrust is heaped then on the very true impulses that we need to know why we are here and what we have come to do. So it's a very um, dangerous situation because the very reason we should do the hard work now to get out of an addiction is lost to us because it's been labeled the bad guy. So that true impulse, that true reason we're here, that calling that should be inspiring us to do whatever it takes to bring that calling into the world is now labeled the bad guy. And we distrust it because it feels like the thing that is causing our addictions, which are causing all these problems in our life. So, for example, in, in my work uh, with students... One of the things we work at, and it takes a while to unravel this, is 
retrieving your passion, your true passion from obsession. And retrieving this this fiery aspect of the true impulses from our obsessive, compulsive, addictive lives. It's a big piece of unraveling that is part of the work that we're doing actually over the first three years in the four-year training that I do called Cycle of Transformation. It's a very important dynamic because if we are going to recover our freedom of choice, we must be able to unwind this addictive pattern and get back to our true impulses. And this is the thing, of course, that is at the, the, the result then of all of these addictions is that the addiction becomes the default activity. And so it happens without choice. And so the addiction itself becomes an activity that is robbing us of freedom of choice. And this is, frankly, death. It's a living death. From a shamanic perspective, to, be, to rob yourself of your freedom of choice is a living death. Because we need that freedom of choice to accurately interpret and drive, essentially, for lack of a better word, the manifestation machine that we are. And so without freedom of choice, we are not responsible. We're not able to be responsible in our use of our capacity for manifestation. So instead, we, we, we lose our freedom of choice. We simply do our addictions. And so the powerful manifestation machine that we are just keeps manifesting the addiction. And then that addiction contributes to the field of that addiction in the whole energy field of humanity. And we are then part of the problem. There's no way around that. We are manifesting alcoholism or we are manifesting meth addiction. We are manifesting simple carb addiction. We are manifesting um, caffeine addiction. We We are manifesting more and more addiction into the field of humanity which creates a greater and greater momentum towards losing your freedom of choice. Just giving it up to choose the addiction, which is ultimately a choice, though obviously it's happening so fast, you're not noticing. To choose the addiction is to choose to let go of your freedom of choice. And then that supports human beings not having freedom of choice all over the planet. And so it just snowballs into this escalation of moving people out of a place of empowerment and the ability to use their freedom of choice and the fact that they are a manifestation machine to connect with their true impulses and do what they've come here to do. It's a very simple equation and yet the addictive behaviors we create in our contemporary lives undermine the process entirely. So one last piece that I'll offer from Taoism is that uh, one evening in a talk about addictions, you know, the Taoist and addiction, my teacher said, what if I told you definitively, if I could tell you without a doubt, 100% certainty, that if you would give up your addiction to coffee, you will meet the man or woman 
of your dreams? What if I could tell you with 100% certainty that that is true? Could you give up your coffee? And this is a question that he left us with. And it wasn't, you know, I'm not dumping on coffee. It just happened to be the example that he picked. It doesn't matter. You can put any addiction in there. It's sort of fill in the blank, addiction X, whatever it is. But the point that he was making is that these addictions rob us of the energy to create something new on one hand. On the other hand, our energy is going into the field of the addiction. And so it's attracting the counterpart of that addiction to us. And most of us aren't sitting here thinking, gee, I'd like to attract a a man or a woman who is a drug addict. (laughs) Most of us aren't thinking that, right? We'd like someone who's healthy. And so we think that that's what we're manifesting in our little crystals every day, our intention, our affirmations, whatever we're doing. And we don't realize that though in that 10 minutes of our affirmations to call in the partner of our dreams, the job of our dreams, the life of our dreams, whatever it is, in 10 minutes we're doing that. But the whole rest of the day, we're living in our addictions and calling in that. So what's going to win? You know, The more time you spend in your addictions, the more that's what you're going to manifest in your life. That's what you're going to call into your life. And so it's not so much that coffee has a direct relationship with man or woman of your dreams. It's more just the point that you need to give an addiction up to be able to shift the energetic dynamic of your life, to be able to call new kinds of things in. Now, understand You can stay exactly as you are and keep calling in men or women, whatever you prefer, at the same pattern. The point is most of us are trying consciously to move up our level of consciousness and to call in a different kind of partner than the one that we just had that was a big messy breakup and we don't want to do that again. Most of us would like to learn from whatever the mistakes were in that and to gather what was lovely in it and go forward into something new. Well, we can't do that. If we don't shift our energy and many people want to focus that that shift of energy is just understanding psychologically what was problematic in that last relationship and, and, and sort of psychologically um, thinking about this as an issue in the mind and call being able to call that next partner in just by changing your sort of attitude, your psychology around it. But The truth is we need to make this change physically and emotionally, so emotional patterns, and the psychological patterns and the spiritual patterns if we want to call in a different kind of job, a different kind of person, maybe a different kind of life. It's not enough to just change your mind. So that is the Taoistic piece, and and what it brings to us is an understanding of addiction that is simply about the dynamics of energy. And why it is that our true impulses, our great passions, the things that can truly give us the life that we want to live, get um, judged and denigrated and, and, and blamed for being the cause of our addictions. And so we get into this uh, dynamic where we let go of the addiction but we're afraid to pick up the true impulse because we're afraid if we connect with that true impulse, it'll throw us into the addiction again. And so that's the dynamic that needs to be 
broken or the, the connection that needs to be broken. We need to understand the addiction for what it is. We need to understand the block for what it was and what it is now. And we need to understand the true impulse. We desperately need to be able to connect to and understand the true impulses. So shamanism, the value then of shamanism in the process of recovery from addiction is it brings in that transformational piece that can take off after a person has created that foundation that they can create by working their steps in the 12-step program. You, you have to recover yourself, your sense of your relationship, of your power as a person relative to the, the big power of the universe, find your place in that. Um, and you have to make, make amends with, all, with your life, with all that was, to be able to go forward. Um, many shamanic practices, many shamanic uh, cultures, actually, I didn't mean practices, many shamanic peoples have powerful recapitulation practices um, that are very like making amends in that step in the 12-step program. So this, this is an important piece of being able to reconcile with the past, to come to a place of ownership and honesty with it, and, and forgiveness and surrender and to let go so that you have a firm foundation now to go forward and start to transform the dynamic itself, which is the dynamic between the true impulse, the stopper, and the addictive behavior, whatever it is. So from a shamanic perspective then, remember we're already on this foundation where a person has recovered themselves from their addiction and we're going forward from there. The person has their own direct relationship and direct revelatory relationship with spirit. So they have their own direct connection. So then through a shamanic process, what we're looking for now is how do we transform those three dynamics, the impulse, transform our relationship with the three dynamics, pardon me. So it's your relationship with the true impulses, your relationship with the block, and your relationship with the addiction. Okay. So one of the first pieces is developing a sense through a variety of shamanic practices. Um, how would you know a true impulse if you tripped over it? Because remember, our relationship with the true impulses have been completely skewed and screwed up because of our perspective from the addictions and how damaging the addictions are in our life. And so we need to come back to being able to understand, you know, what's a true impulse? How would you know it if you tripped over it? And a lot of this is some physical realm work. It has to do with um, developing a deep understanding of your energy body, of your truth cord. We've actually talked about this in the basics of living well. There were three, um, three uh, radio shows in that series they're archived. You can listen to them on iTunes. They're called The Basics of Living Well. And we looked at grounding, um, boundaries and protection, and um, I think cultivating energy. I haven't looked at it for a while. But anyway, it's that realm where we're looking at how do we cultivate our, um, the energy in our body? How do we learn what is me? What is someone else? What is my truth? What is me lying to myself? All of these internal energies and reclaim our own internal truth our own internal intuitive truth. Um, 
and the freedom to use it. Because remember, our own intuition has been screwed up and skewed by the addiction. So we're thinking something as critical as our true impulse is actually bad. And so that whole intuitive internal being is all screwed up from the addiction. So we need to uh, transform that relationship. The next piece is a, is a big piece of trust, but it's very important for people that have been living in addiction. And again, I in this regard, I hold those addictions that are um, substance abuse, as our culture would say it, as damaging as the socially acceptable addictions like food, sugar, caffeine, alcohol, whatever, that they are, they're equally damaging. They're differently damaging, granted. I'll honor that in acknowledgement. But when it comes to you living your soul's purpose and having the energy to do that, they are equally damaging because all addictions cause us to throw our energy down a rat hole. We throw our energy into the exact same behavior over and over and over again every day. We know where it leads. It's not where we want to go, but we do it anyway. And so that's why, for the sake of this conversation, these addictions are being held equally, even though obviously they create different levels of toxicity in our life and in our bodies. And I acknowledge that. But today we're talking really about the dynamics of truly recovering from any addiction. So the other piece that would be here in the physical realm before we move on to life as a teacher is what is necessary for physical detox. What is necessary to physically tend your body relative to whatever your addiction is. Physically tend your heart relative to whatever your addictions are if they're emotional patterns. What do you need to do for your mind? That there's a detox from the patterns that needs to happen in the body, whether it's psychological Um, emotional or physical, there is still a detox because all of these things are manifest in the body in some way. So there's that piece, again, in the physical realm. Okay, so moving on. The other piece shamanism brings us is, at least in, in my training, it brings us the learning of how to work with your life as the teacher. And this is, an, this is a big step in reclaiming your power. So you're not always seeking outside of yourself for the teacher. You're not running from teacher to teacher to teacher and now becoming addicted to going to workshops. Now becoming addicted to finding the teacher. And now becoming addicted to that whole dynamic that goes on in these workshops of finding a teacher, wanting to be the special student, wanting to become like the teacher. All of this process that goes on that has nothing to do yet with your true impulses and your true calling and why you are here. Once you're connected to those things, finding a teacher that's going to guide you along that path, surrendering to that teaching and learning is a great thing to do. But you and I both know that 75% of this whole workshop industry that's happening right now in America, at least, is entirely addiction-driven. People are just now addicted to going to workshops. So anyway... So what we're talking about is learning how to work with life as the teacher so we are not running around looking for that teacher outside of ourselves but are learning to cultivate that relationship between how do I recognize what my life is giving me as messages, how do I learn to interpret those messages, and once I have interpreted them, what do I do with them? 
And this is a big piece of um, a shamanic way of life. Another thing that we gain through shamanic transformations is um, learning to clear our energy out of the shadow closet, I call it. But basically drawing energy out of what is moved into the shadow self from a psychological perspective. Now, we did a show about that last month, I think, about working with the shadow um, in, in my training. And you, that is available to download, to go into that particular aspect more deeply. But remember, your true impulse is coming forward. Something stops it, which means there was a judgment. And whenever there is a judgment that judges us as wrong in some way, if that happens consistently enough, the aspect of ourself that's being judged tends to get shoved into the shadow closet. So if we're talking about addiction, we're also talking about doing shadow work. And for my money, for my time and energy, working, doing shadow work through a shamanic process is simply quicker and more effective um, than anything else that I've seen out there because of the transformational piece of ritual, which we'll get to here in a minute. Another aspect of working with um, shamanism deeply um, and working with a shaman is learning to cultivate your relationship with death as an ally so that you are able to take the risk to kill things off, kill aspects of yourself off so that energy is available to do something else with it. And I've talked about this many times in many different contexts on the show but it's critically important. We are a culture that doesn't let go of anything. We've got so much stuff in our homes, most of us don't have any room for anything new to come in. And it's important for us to cultivate a capacity to let go, to surrender, and all of these are aspects of learning to work with death as an ally. And the most important thing we're talking about addictions is your addictions become like your blankie when you were a little kid. You know, there comes a point where, you know, you have to go to school and you need to leave your blankie at home. You know, there comes a point in the process of transformation where you're going to have to lay that addiction down and go survive out in the world without it. You have to put that little blankie down. And that's that time when we need to call death in to kill that addictive person, that addictive self off so that energy can be recycled and reclaimed to do something new. So another aspect that we need to, um, that we cultivate through shamanism is your capacity for faith, um, your capacity to ask for help, primarily from your helping spirits, but also from your community and from the shaman, and your capacity for rebirth. Because when we're talking about a transformational process, we're not just talking about you being the same person, just killing off all these addictions, opening the gates, letting your true impulses out, and Bob's your uncle. I mean, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the acceptance that once we've amassed all of this energy and developed ourselves as someone that has these addictions and has this false self, that it's going to be necessary to transform. You will not be that same person because that person is an addict. The only way to change this situation is to transform into a person who doesn't need to be the addict. And so there will be a transformational process here. And for any transformational process, the capacity for faith, asking for help, and the willingness to allow rebirth are absolutely critical. 
And so the final piece that I would like to add here as our hour is quickly slipping away is the other thing that shamanism brings into this transformation is ritual. And, and I'm speaking specifically now about ritual and not ceremony. And in a shamanic realm, these are two different things. Ritual is what we do to call spirit in to help us to change things. Ceremony is what we do as humans to call spirit in to help us to reinforce the status quo or the shared values of a community. To um, They're both powerful healing to- tools. But when we're talking about addiction and transformation, we need to create a change. And so we need ritual. And so I'll share a story um, from years ago. I was teaching at Omega. Um, it was just a class in general about shamanism. I think it was called The Wisdom of the Shaman in Everyday Life. And there was a man there who, unbeknownst to me, had worked for you know decades, actually, um, to be sober. And while he had been sober for decades, it was still an issue. It was still there. It was still um, an effort to remain sober. Not a burden. It just was still an effort to remain sober. And um, so in part of this class at this, um, at Omega, at the Omega Institute was to do a fire ritual as an example of a shamanic ritual. And everyone was asked to bring to the ritual something in their life they wanted to transform and to let go of completely to be free of some aspect of themselves that no longer served them specifically. And I was not clear about what everybody was bringing. There are about 45 people in the class and I only knew what was going on with the people that asked me for help, but people that felt clear about what they wanted to release into the fire just went off and did what they needed to do to be able to do that as they were instructed in the class. And, um, this man did the fire ritual and everything was fine. And I heard back from him about a week later and he says, I just want to let you know, you know, that I've been working for decades with my alcoholism. And since the night of that fire ritual, this has become a non-issue in my life. And um, he became a student and um, worked with him over maybe the next 10 years And over that time, it remained exactly that way. He just walked away from it at that point. It was no longer an issue in any way. And so in that fire, what he had asked for is that self, that alcoholic self, to be released into the fire and to be let go so that he would be free to move on to do other things. Now, understand this whole story. So the ritual was necessary for the completion of his healing. I'm not saying all you need to do is go do a fire ritual and you won't be a drunk anymore or whatever kind of addict that you are. What I'm saying is that ritual is a piece, often, often an end piece. Sometimes there are several rituals involved. But the point is he had done a lot of work. He'd, he'd covered his bases. Physically, he was detoxed. Emotionally, he was unattached psychologically he was out of the mindset of being an alcoholic and living a productive life. He'd worked his steps. He'd been in AA, you know, he'd done all that he needed to do. And there was this final piece though, that he couldn't do on his own, that he needed the power of the community coming together in ritual, 
the power of the shaman guiding the ritual, and the power of spirit and the way it comes to bear in our lives through ritual to make that final transformation. And as far as I know, to this day, his freedom is still true, that he has freedom of choice again in his life, absolute and complete freedom of choice again. And so this is what I see that shamanism can bring us to this process of transformation from addiction. And so I want to acknowledge that there is an example of this. We white people call it a power dance that is practiced by Native Americans up here in the Pacific Northwest, up into Canada and all the way into Alaska, I think, where there is a a big ceremony and the opportunity is to call out for the medicine, your own medicine which comes in the form of a dance and a song that will allow you to, to rise out of the addictive self and leave that self behind. And the song and the dance then become the medicine that you take by singing and dancing it again and again and again until you are transformed by that medicine out of the addict into the non-addict person. And this is being used um, today in um, on reservations with Native American people to create that create transformation around addiction. Another thing that we're seeing that shamanism is bringing into the transformation of addiction for people that are addicted to heavy chemical substances is the use of plant medicines. And so what I'm offering up here today is the understanding that that transformation from the person that is now blaming your true impulses to a person that can sacrifice that addict self, let that energy go, remove the blocks, and return unbiased to those true impulses is that person that is truly and finally healed. And what I want to put out into the cosmos here today is the possibility that that is true. And in my life, to share those people where that is a reality, that there are students and clients that have come through my practice over the last 20 years for which that possibility is a reality. And if that is what you need in this life, know that you can find it here and now in contemporary America. So with that said, I will close our radio show here today. I want to give thanks to you all for listening. Thanks to the community that supports financially the possibility of this show for everyone. I want to give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us, for their dreaming that brought us to the earth here today that we might share our lives together. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the big love between the two of them that gives life to all things. And I want to thank the energy of the heart that unites us all. Please know that all the shows are available to you on iTunes and information about Last Mass Center Um, healing sessions with me, the Encyclopedia of Shamanism, and all that sort of stuff is at www.lastmaskcenter.org. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. 